<laughs> All right. Well, good morning. Welcome to Good News Church. Um, we're so excited to see all you guys. Uh, it's weird to be here and not here, but it does make a big difference, actually. It's weird. And then I've been telling people, too, it's weird not having a guitar to hide behind. So we're like grabbing this table. But, but anyways, um, let me pray for us, and, uh, and let's jump in. Heavenly Father, we love you. We, um, we praise you for, for the music that we just got to enjoy, God. Um, you were truly here in this place with us. Uh, as the word is brought, Lord, would you speak through me? Um, let it be nothing from myself, but from, from your word, your spirit, Lord. Uh, give us all ears to hear, uh, eyes to see, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So preparing for this, you know, I, I did the student ministry for years, and, and so I'd, I'd give talks regularly, typically about five, ten minutes, and so I was sitting there musing, thinking, man, how am I going to talk for, for 30 minutes, man? I don't know what I'm, what I'm going to say, and, and my wife, who is always an encouragement to me, chimed in and said, well, just, just pretend like we're driving back from your parents' house, and you're me, because we realized that we'll get to the end of the drive, about 30 minutes, I haven't said a word. And so me being the caring husband that I am, said, we're, we're trying to encourage them, not get them to want to jump out of a car. <laughs> so we're talking about encouragement today. <laughs> it's just like Pam was, was encouraged to smack me. Um, and it, it, was, it was well-deserved. Um, yeah, I might, be, I might be walking next time. But, but so hopefully you guys will be encouraged in your walk this morning. <laughs> so... Um, Oh, before we go any further, actually, we do celebrate that we saw four professions of faith in the Ministry of Good News this week. So will you celebrate with me as we put these on? All right, so without any further ado, let's get into the passage for this week. Oh, yeah, that is a picture up there. That is, that is my wife, in case you haven't met uh, my wife, Pam. She is wonderful. I could not do really much of anything without her at this point, so, so she is a huge encouragement to me. That is my son, Graham, who is just insanity, and my daughter, Vienna, who we call her the ring wraith because she gets up there in that shrieky zone sometimes when she's really upset, <laughs> but they're wonderful, and I love them. <laughs> All right, so if you'll turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4, or if you don't have your Bible with you, you can follow along on the screen. I'll give you a second to get there. But we're going to look at a couple people who you may not have heard of before. All right, here we go. Verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you? They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. All right. So it's a couple of random guys talking. So let's dig in and get some context. A good practice before getting into any bit of scripture. Uh, write down some questions about it that you might have and, and dig in, do a little research and find it. And then also you want to know the context. So who are these guys? What is Paul doing that they need encouragement from Paul? Uh, when was it written? Why? And Dave covered this a little while ago when we started Colossians, but I figured it was a good time, good time for a revisit. So when? This was written during Paul's first imprisonment in Rome. So you think of a Roman dungeon and how awful it is. This one wasn't 
too bad, actually, by comparison. It was more like a house arrest. So he was still able to have um, visitors and kind of freedom within his own rented house. And so he was actually running his church network throughout the Mediterranean from house arrest in Rome. This is after he had appealed to Caesar in Jerusalem, and then they, they carted him off to Rome. So... Um, so kind of an interesting period. And this is when he wrote Philippians, he wrote Ephesians here, and also the letter to Philemon. So it was, it was a pretty important period for Paul. Um, so why was it written? So the Colossian church was facing a heresy that was actually seeping in. Um, and the heresy was centered around something called asceticism. And so we're going to define that real quick. That is the practice of the denial of physical or physiological desires in order to attain a spiritual ideal or goal. And it basically sees the body as evil. Anything carnal is evil and needs to be like purged from the body. Um, and so what was common at the time in Greek religion, uh, in ancient Greek religion, that they would have been you know, trying to stop it from seeping into the church, this practice specifically abstaining from meat. So... So all you, all you hippies out there, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yes, there are several cults that, that it was like a big deal, like not to eat meat. So you had the Orphics, um, they're like a mystical vegetarian cult. That sounds like, that sounds like a party. Um, you had the cult of Dionysus, which was the god of wine and other things I'm not going to talk about. Um, you had the Pythagoreans, which was a mystical numerical cult. That actually sounds horrible. Um, but, yeah, no, no, no. But, so the, all these types of practices were starting to seep into the church. And so it was, yeah, yeah, Jesus is great, but, but you have to do these things too um, to, to really prove that you're a spiritual person. And, and so those beliefs were starting to uh, dilute the gospel, getting in. And uh, so Paul's writing to fight that. And actually, several years ago, I was listening to this worship album and... I don't know if you guys ever are watching something or listening to something, you kind of get this like, oh, something's off here. You know, the kind of hair starts standing up a little bit. And so that happened. I went and I started digging into it a little bit, and apparently this group was mixing in like Taoist meditation in their worship music. Like, and I was like, what on earth? And so I actually went to Dave. Um, this is long before he was the pastor here, but... Uh, he was down at Wildwood. And so I went to Dave and sat and just asked him his opinion on it because I really wanted to hear what he had to say. And to my surprise, he gave me a very simple answer, but I do want to encourage you guys with this today if you ever have a question about something like this. He just simply said, well, ancient Israel never did well when they tried to mix anything in with their worship of Yahweh. And that was all I needed to hear. So I was like, all right, let's take that album right off the playlist. <laughs> and yeah, so I mean, so God is a jealous God. He, he loves us and wants our worship. And, and you look at the Old Testament and man, how he wanted to be worshiped was very specific. And now, now in the new covenant, it's, he wants us to worship him in spirit and truth. Um, all right, so the context within this letter of this passage, it's kind of in Paul's closing blessing and where we're going to get off to the races here. Um, is he's introducing and affirming the people that are carrying the letters, speaking about their character and basically giving them license to speak to and encourage the church. Um, so hopefully, um, now we all have a good idea of the backdrop. 
But let's look at who the guys are in this passage. So we got Onesimus was the first guy. And uh, some of you may recognize his name. Anybody heard Onesimus before? A couple. Okay, cool. Um, so he was actually, and Dave talked about this a couple weeks ago, he was a runaway bond servant. And so a bond servant is essentially a slave, but not in the way we think of it today. Typically someone who got into financial trouble or debt and basically couldn't pay it off, and rather than go to prison, would sell themselves to their debtor until they could work off their debt. And so Onesimus was somebody in this situation. His master was actually Philemon, the guy who Paul wrote the letter to, and this comes into play here. And they were from Colossae. So Philemon may well have been part of the church at Colossae, you know, who the letter was written to. Um, so Onesimus ran away, so broke, broke the commitment, and met Paul in Rome where he was in hiding, got saved, joined Paul's ministry team, and next thing you know, he's dispatched with Paul delivering letters. Um, and the guy he's traveling with is a guy named Tychicus. And most of us have never heard of Tychicus, I would be willing to bet. Uh, so he was, he was from the area, from Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. Um, and somewhere along Paul's missionary journeys, he got saved, he joined Paul's ministry team. And some of the things Paul had him do were actually indicative of him being a very trustworthy person. So he carried the letters to the Colossians, he carried the letter to the Ephesians, and the letter to Philemon. And the reason being, uh, according to the Lightfoot commentary, if you go on some of the Bible websites or in some of the encyclopedias, there's all these interesting commentaries from scholars. And, and this one muses, that, you know, this isn't 100% sure, but it makes a lot of sense to me, that possibly Tychicus is there to watch over Onesimus, who, who is a bondservant traveling by himself through Rome, which could be very dangerous if he gets apprehended and arrested as he's on the run. It could go pretty bad for him, but if he has a Roman citizen with him that's kind of his caretaker watching over him, and not only that, once they get to Colossae and deliver that letter, maybe plead his case to Philemon and make sure he gets treated fairly. So Tychicus is a pretty trustworthy guy. While Paul you know, may have done something like this himself, he sends his brother in Christ who he trusts to do this. And Furthermore, the church is likely aware of Paul's predicament in prison in Rome, and that's why they're eager for news. So somebody who's been with Paul in the trenches in Rome is the perfect one to bring them encouragement. So let's see where else Tychicus pops up in the New Testament. He has several mentions. He's mentioned in Acts, here in Colossians, uh, Ephesians, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And he's possibly even mentioned in some other places, but not explicitly by name. So the first one in Acts 20, he's listed with uh, several companions that are accompanying Paul. On one of his missionary journeys, he was collecting money for the church in Jerusalem that was in all kinds of trouble. And so they have this large financial uh, gift that they're trying to bring back to Jerusalem. So you would really want some trustworthy guys around you because it's prime time to get, to get robbed on the road. And so Tychicus is one of those guys. I love this one. So in 2 Timothy... Paul, the context of that is Paul is in his second imprisonment in Rome, which was um, significantly worse. This is more like the, the dungeon, you know, you're chained to the wall, basically. And um, this is where Paul would ultimately be executed. So 2 Timothy was one of Paul's last letters before he was murdered. And so 
he writes to, to Timothy and says that I'm sending Tychicus to you to take over your church so that you can come visit me before, before the end. And so Tim, Timothy was like a son to Paul. And so, so again, we see the types of things that Paul trusts Tychicus with, and they're huge. And so the passage for today, going back to that um, in Colossians 4.8, yeah, we see the specific reason. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. The Ephesians passage is really similar, in fact, very similar. It says in verse 21 of chapter 6, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you, for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So encouragement is what we're driving at this morning. Um, probably unnecessary, but just to make sure we're all on the same page, we're going to look at the definition of encouragement or encourage. It's, it's simple, but I actually really, really like it, and I like some of the um, synonyms that are given with it. So to inspire with courage, spirit, or hope, or to hearten. That's a word you don't say a whole lot, but it's kind of like, a, yeah. But some of the other definitions I didn't put up on the screen that are kind of the sub-definitions is to attempt to persuade, so to urge somebody, to spur on, to stimulate, or to give help to, or patronage to, or to foster. And so it's a, it's a rich word. It can mean a lot. And so when he's encouraging these churches, he's giving them courage, he's giving them spirit, hope, um, stimulating the growth. So it's, um, it's a good word to dig into. And also, to get nerdy, it's a transitive verb. So I'll tell you what that means. So <laughs> what that means is it has a direct object. So it, it's a verb that has to have something that is receiving the action. And so uh, for the Christian, when we're talking about encouraging, it's not, we could be encouraging ourselves, but in general, we are encouraging those who are around us, those beside us, those that have gone ahead of us, and those behind us, those that are coming along after us. And so it's a, it's a very important word in the life of a Christian because the whole thing about gathering together on a Sunday morning is that we're encouraging each other in our faith, encouraging each other um, I think directly and indirectly. So if you see someone down, you go over, you encourage them. But also, if you are living for God, it's going to show. People around you are going to notice that. And I can't tell you how much in the last several months I've personally been encouraged by people who probably have no idea. But watching people that are on the care team take such good care of, of Pam and my wife, or like uh, Pam and I when we, when we were moving, uh, John Hamilton was moving the other day, and then people that have had tragedy in their life and just watching the community come around them has been really inspiring to me, even though I've you know, been largely on the outside of that, but just seeing it and seeing the community come together um, has really spurred me on and made me want to, to get more involved in things like that because I just see how much of a blessing it is to people, and I know how much of a blessing it was to me. So let's look at the first use of the word encouragement that was found in Scripture. We're going all the way back to Deuteronomy, one of the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, written by Moses. And so Deuteronomy 138, a little bit of context around this. So Moses is giving kind of his final farewell address to the assembly 
of Israel before they're getting ready to go into the promised land. But Moses has been informed by God, you don't get to go in. Because of your sin, because of the people's sin, while you were leading them, you don't get to go in. And so Moses has been driving these people through the wilderness for 40 years with this hope of getting to go into this land that's been promised even from back when they came out of Egypt. And can you imagine the, just the crushing blow that, that he had when God's like, no, you don't get to go. I mean, I, I mean, Pam will tell you, if I think we're going to go to the beach and I get to go surfing and then something happens, I'm, I'm not a, a nice person about it. And so I can't, I can't imagine. And so, but look at, let's look at what he asks Moses to do. And I would honestly, shame on me, but I would have a hard time with this. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter there. Encourage him, for he will cause Israel to inherit it. And so I don't know if you've ever been looking forward to something or waiting for an answer to prayer that you might not see or, or had relatives that really wanted to see something happen, but they didn't get to, they didn't make it. Like an example that was uh, difficult for me, uh, my grandfather, he, he wanted to, obviously he wanted to be there. He wanted to, you know, officiate my wedding. He was a, he was a minister. But, um, I mean, praise God that he did get to meet Pam before we got married, but he, he never, he didn't make it. He didn't get to see it. And it was just like a crushing kind of blow to me. And, you know, I was still getting emotional talking about it. And so something like this, where you've been driving for 40 years, and God tells you, all right, the guy that's uh, coming along behind you, you don't get it, but he does. Can you imagine how, how that goes with, like, most siblings? <laughs> I mean, so just, just trying to paint this picture for you. Um, so, but it's so important to, like, important to encourage the people that are coming behind you. If, um, if you're mentoring somebody, and maybe you see, hey, they're going to be better at this than... I ever was or ever will be, you can respond one of two ways. You can get jealous or you can celebrate. And so that's what we're called to do when we're mentoring, when we're encouraging the people that are coming along behind us. See the gifts in them, even if it's better than something you have or even if it's something that you don't have that you wish you did. Encourage that and, and celebrate the things that God is going to do in them, especially if there's something, a big task. Like in the Bible, we see King David is wanting to build the temple, right? And he's passionate about this, and, and you know, no one had a heart for worship like David. And so back then, when they were meeting with the Lord, it was in the synagogue, it was in this big tent. And David's passion, his heart, what he was driving towards through his kingship was to be able to build a permanent home for the Lord to be with his people. And he wanted to build this large, grand temple. But similar to Moses, God comes to him and says, no, you don't get to. And the specific reason, he's had too much blood on his hands. David was a warrior. David had committed some awful sins. And God told him, no, you don't get to. But your son will. And so rather than get bitter, we see all these writings from David encouraging and giving wisdom to Solomon to, and getting everything ready to prepare Solomon for the task that was ahead of him. He's celebrating what his son is going to get to do. Rather than getting dejected and getting bitter, 
He celebrates it. And so let's go back to Joshua. So, you know, he's got his own book, which is pretty cool. Not many people can say that in the Bible. But before all that happens, he was an unknown. So he was there through all the stuff that we read about in, in Exodus, but he's only mentioned a couple times. Uh, so he's being groomed for leadership, but um, as, we'll, as we know, we'd have a very different Bible without him. But let's look at his early involvement with Moses. And it's actually a couple of incredible examples. So one is right before Moses is going up to the mountain of the Lord, the time when you know, there's thunder and lightning and fire on the top of the mountain, and Moses is going to go up there for 40 days. This is one of those verses that kind of makes me have a little question mark. Okay, what did this look like? So Exodus 24, 13. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. So it doesn't explicitly say, like, was it just Moses up there? Was Joshua with him? Did Joshua help him get up there part the way and then kind of send him on his way? I don't know, but it's a very, it's a close, intimate role. Because remember, Moses was, I think, probably like 80 at this point. He's got to go climb a mountain. <laughs> so he's got his assistant with him. And I love what Pam said. She said it's a, Joshua was the Samwise to his Frodo. Oh. <laughs> But they're going together into God's presence, and it's this close thing that you think, you know, usually when this happens, only Moses is mentioned. But how many other times is Joshua right there at his side, not getting any recognition, helping him along? So this is one of those ones where he is encouraging the person that is coming ahead of him, somebody that he is being mentored by, groomed by, but he is silently and faithfully aiding him. And here's another one. So Exodus 33, 11. So before the synagogue, uh, before the tabernacle, sorry, was built, which is, the, again, the tent where he was in the middle of the camp of Israel, God would dwell in that. But before that, before uh, the law, before all the sacrifices had been put into place, God could not dwell in the congregation of Israel because of their sin. And so there was a tent that was outside the camp called the tent of meeting where Moses would go and meet with the Lord. And You'll see all over, it's like, just Moses, just Moses. Only Moses is allowed out here. And let's look at this, 33.11. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. So it's another one of those things where Joshua's right there by his side through this incredible moment where God is there face to face meeting with them. And what I want to tell you from that is we've seen Joshua as an encourager. He's willing to take on the silent role, get no recognition, and, and prop Moses up, help Moses succeed. But his ability to do that is coming from his primary focus being on the Lord. His primary focus being he wants to glorify and honor the Lord, be in his presence. And so all that encouragement is not from within himself. It is coming from his intimate relationship with the Lord. We see another example I'll touch on just quickly. Um, in 1 Samuel 23, 16. So Jonathan, the son of King Saul, who we all know King Saul is famously trying to hunt down and kill David because he's jealous of him. David's one of, it's, you know, it's an example of what not to do. David's coming along behind him. Clearly, it, the people are going to you know, the people love David, the people respect David, are going to follow David, and Saul hates him for it and is trying to kill him. But Jonathan, the king's son, 
and David were close. And one time when Saul's in the middle of trying to hunt down and murder David, Jonathan sneaks off and goes to see him. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horish and encouraged him in God. And so it's, it's this important thing. Don't just start throwing empty compliments at somebody and try to encourage them, but encourage them in the Lord. So from your part, pull your strength from your walk with the Lord and the things that you're encouraging them with, pull that from Scripture. Pull that from the Spirit speaking to you when you need it. And so it's an important reminder that our strength to encourage, again, must be found in the Lord. So to answer our original question, how do we become an encourager? Be encouraged. All right, I know that's, that's redundant. But let me clarify, be encouraged in God. So we're going to look at what that means a little bit. We're, we're going to roll through some examples from Scripture, and, and hopefully that'll paint a clearer picture of how we can be encouraged in, in the Lord and how we can encourage others in the Lord. So in the book of Romans, in the first chapter, as Paul's opening it up, uh, Romans 1, 11 to 12, Paul says this, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may, we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So first off, what I want to point out there is, Paul says that encouragement is a spiritual gift. So even if it's something we want, you know, some of us are naturally encouragers, but to truly encourage somebody in the Lord, it is something that's got to be given us from the Spirit, from the Lord. And so it's not the type of thing we can just try really hard. We've got to be connected to the Lord. We've got to be seeking His face and open to what He's going to do through us and listening for the voice of the Spirit when it's time to encourage somebody. Um, but then also I want to point out that being mutually encouraged by each other's face. Uh, so even the Apostle Paul, which you'd think like, don't worry, I'm coming. I've got this big bag of encouragement to give you guys. But he's like, no, I need it too. So I'm going to be encouraged by you guys and everything that God is doing through you. So we, we see this, there's no ego in encouragement. There's humility in encouragement. Even if, if you're in a position of high authority, don't act like you're beyond needing encouragement. And so to, to move on, we're going to look at Jesus. So a phrase you'll hear a lot around here is that Jesus is our example for life and ministry. But it's so true. Because in his life here as a man, even he needed encouragement. We look at his baptism. The Spirit descends on him and we hear the voice of the Father saying, This is my Son whom I love. Immediately after that, he goes in the wilderness for 40 days, and he's fasting, and he's spending time with the Lord because he knows what's coming. The difficult task that's ahead of him, he knows he needs to be encouraged in the Lord to be affirmed by God to do this. And all, all through his ministry, we see the harder things get, the more Jesus is going away to spend time in the Father. He had perfect communion with the Father. He knew who he was. He had been affirmed by God. This is my son. He meditated on the word. 
we hear even at 12 years old, you know, everyone didn't have their own Bible back then. You'd have to go to the synagogue. You'd have to go to the temple, and they would read scripture. And so you had to be there soaking it in and learning from the rabbis. And so even as early as 12 years old, Jesus is there. And even later in the, later in the Gospels, we see it says, as it was his custom, Jesus went to the synagogue. It's, it was something that was habitual for him. It was something that was a priority to soak in the word of the Lord and operate out of it. And then also, Jesus surrounded himself with support. He had his disciples around him. And even within that, there's actually kind of a hierarchy and the ones that he's closer to. At one point, there's the 72. So he had, a, he had a lot more disciples than just 12. There's 72, and then there's more even outside of that, but the 72 are some of his closer ones that he trusted and he commissioned to do ministry. Within that, we see the 12. Those are the guys, that's his inner circle that are always seem to be with him. But even within that, there's the three. Peter, James, and John, that those were the ones that, that were always, always with him and that were an encouragement to him, and I'm sure he saw a lot of leadership potential in as well. But then even within the three, there was one, John, the disciple that Jesus loved, who he probably had a brother-type relationship with that's so important. And so I see all the time Christians, and I'm, I'm tempted to do it as well, but all, we want to isolate ourselves, and you, so many people say, well, why do I have to go to church? I can just watch it online, which, no offense if you're watching online, we're happy you're here. We'd be happier if you were here, though, not just for our benefit, but for you, um, to, be, to be sharpened by each other. Iron sharpens iron. And so even Jesus was not immune to the need to have people around you that are going to be an encouragement to you, people around you that are going to spur you on. And... Um, yeah, so I, I challenge you guys, don't, don't let yourself be isolated from the flock. You watch all these, like, do you guys like watching nature documentaries and stuff? Like, yeah. So, you know, they'll be following, like, a pack of wolves around or something. They're hunting caribou. What's the first thing they try to do? They try to find a straggler, isolate them from the herd, and they're done. It, it's the same principle with us. Do not get isolated from the herd. So I, I urge you, I encourage you this morning to find community give it a chance. It won't be perfect because it's, you know, community involves people, <laughs> but give it a chance. And, and even, okay, reading, reading this list of things that, that Jesus did, I, there's a temptation if you're cynical like me to be like, well, he's Jesus. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, of course he did that. He's God. But, so I mean, I get it. it can be, it can be hard to relate to some of these big, Bible names, you're like, well, that's those guys. They're the heroes of the Bible. But let's go back to Tychicus. Nobody's heard of him. It's a perfect encouragement for us this morning. <laughs> yeah, so, so again, before, before today, you guys probably haven't heard of him, right? And, but all the same, it would be a very different Bible without him. Because from the very little that's written about Tychicus in Scripture... We can glean a lot. And I touched on it earlier, but Paul's calling him loyal, trustworthy, dedicated, a faithful minister. He's willing to take on any task for the sake of the gospel. So he delivered crucial communications from Paul to the churches as, you know, uh, persecution is raging and as heresies are trying to, to seep in. It's a difficult time. And church wasn't 
what it is today. They're meeting in homes. They're, they're you know, scraping together food and money to survive. And so he's taking those crucial communications to them. He took on the leadership, like I mentioned, of Timothy's church, so that Timothy can go visit his mentor and father figure in Paul in Rome before he dies. And so who knows how long that's going to be. It's not a week trip. It's, we're talking months, most likely. And Timothy might not even come back. It's dangerous. Think about how many shipwrecks Paul had and, and, and all the troubles that used to you know, beset people as they're traveling back then. He returned a runaway bond servant to the master and negotiated good terms um, and then encouraging these churches personally, in person. So there's a commonality in all these things that I'm driving at. They're all background roles. These are all things that there's not a whole lot of glory in. These are things that uh, you don't get a whole lot of stories told about you because of things like this. He's not the star of the show. And as far as I can tell, as far as I've heard and, and, and what I've read, we never hear about Tychicus going on to be the guy after Paul. So, you know, Joshua, he took all these background roles with Moses, but he did go on to be the guy. He led Israel. We never hear about that with Tychicus. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He had a huge impact on our faith. He had a huge impact on the church of his day um, because of the things he did directly, but even the things he did indirectly, allowing Paul to be Paul, helping Paul to be Paul. Because someone like Paul, has, you need that support around you. You can't operate in that high of a capacity if you're not surrounding yourself and insulating yourself with believers and brothers that you trust that are going to encourage you. And life, just normal life, is hard enough. So that applies to us as well. Surround yourself with people that are going to encourage you. Surround yourself with people that are going to build you up in the Lord. And so Tychicus, I, I can confidently say he is an unsung hero of the Bible. And reason being is he's an encourager. Like the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, often we have no idea until much later, and we can look back and we can see the hand of God orchestrating events in our lives. I mean, do you guys ever have things where you look back and you're like, I cannot believe this happened because if that didn't happen, then this wouldn't have happened in my life, or if this hadn't happened, I would have died for something like crazy. So we see the Holy Spirit orchestrating in our lives all the time in this same kind of way. He's an encourager. And so the action step should be obvious. <laughs> be an encourager. And I want to I get into that just a little bit more as we're, as we're winding this thing down. So here's my encouragement to you today, is don't get caught up in the perceived significance of your station. Each of us has a role to play. Paul talks about the body of Christ being, you know, the body of believers, us, the church, make up the body of Christ. And just like our bodies have so many different parts that have so many different functions, none of them can function without the others. Any part of our bodies that is cut off that is dead, that is no longer helping our body, and our body is worse for it, that that isn't there. And so similar, 
if we get cut off from the body of believers, the skills and the gifts that we bring are no longer building up and encouraging the body. And that's why it's important to celebrate the gifts that you see in yourself, but also in others. And here's the other thing about this, you know, the perceived significance of what we do. The flashy spiritual gifts and, and talents that people have that get a lot of respect now that we all love, like, like teaching or, you know, to get really out there, prophecy and, and all those kinds of things, healing, those are temporary in nature. They are not going to matter in the kingdom. They are not what's going to be important. So we see people on TV that are famous because of these things. There's going to be no need for those things in the kingdom. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 8 to 13. It says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see dimly in a mirror, but then... Face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And encouragement is a function of loving one another. And so if you are a loving, encouraging person, that is the type of thing that is going to remain. That is the type of thing that is near and dear to the heart of God and even if you feel like your gifts that you can offer the church are so small, remember this, that God is a multiplier of gifts. Just like a small boy bringing a few loaves and fish to the disciples when there are multitudes to feed. If you're operating on an earthly level out of the flesh, that is laughable, kind of hysterical, actually. And you're like, that's cute. But you see what God does with it, right? So even if you're feeling insecure, about the gifts that you have, about the things that God has given you, bring it to the feet of Jesus. Watch him work and be amazed. You may never see the full extent of what he does to the things that you bring him, but be faithful and have faith that he will. And so in closing, I want to offer up this phrase. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. What kind of pictures come to your mind when you hear this phrase? That phrase is such an encouragement to me. And I bet you none of us can name the guy that wrote it. Thomas Chrisom was a normal guy. Born in 1866, became a school teacher, eventually became a pastor, had to stop because of poor health and medical bills that plagued him up until the time of his death. So he ended up selling insurance and then retiring in New Jersey. Normal dude. In 1923, at 57, he wrote a poem in his notebook reflecting on God's faithfulness as he looked back through his life and through the ups and downs and seeing the way God blessed him. So the same year, he sent it to his musician friend 
who was at the Moody Theological Seminary. And this friend had his notebook full of poems that he had written, and he came across the poem, Great is Thy Faithfulness. He was struck by the beauty of the heart for God that was in that poem, and there on the spot prayed, Lord, help me put this to music that will sufficiently glorify you and build up what is said in this hymn. And it really didn't take off, actually. Great is Thy Faithfulness is one of the great hymns of our time. It didn't take off until 30 years later. 30 years. Billy Graham heard it and was so struck by it, so moved by it, that in his giant crusades that he did, he would often close with the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And we saw people get saved in droves. Countless people saved by the ministering power of this song, the words, and just the heart for God that Thomas had. In 1941, he was musing on it. He said, my income has not been large at any time due to impaired health in the earlier years which has followed me until now. Although I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God that he has given me many wonderful displays of his providing care for which I am filled with astonishing gratefulness. So he was an ordinary man with extraordinary love for God. And I want to encourage you this morning that an ordinary man with extraordinary love for God is of far greater value to the kingdom than an extraordinary man with ordinary love for God. So think Moses, David, Tychicus, the disciples, before they brought their gifts to the Lord, they were all regular, normal, ordinary people. But they had extraordinary love for God. Like Tychicus, Thomas Chrisholm has been an incredible encouragement to countless believers who may never know his name. What gift has God given you to build up and encourage the church? You might know it and be afraid of it. You might know it and not like it and wish you had something else. Take a step. Watch him work. You might not know. Seek, ask, knock. Ask the Lord to show you. Ask for the Spirit. It says that God gives us the Spirit. He gives the Spirit to those who ask for it. Ask. You might just be an encourager if you don't know what your spiritual gift is. And that is near to the heart of God. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Uh, if you guys are in here, you can start making your way up here. Um, but I'm also going to take a second to pray. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus, I'm going to invite you to pray this along with me. And to be clear, it's not the prayer itself that does anything. It's your heartfelt response to the gift of God, to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins and for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, I admit that I am a sinner. I need and want your forgiveness. I accept your death as the penalty for my sin and recognize that your mercy and grace is a gift you offer to me because of your great love, not based on anything that I have done. Cleanse me and make me your child. By faith, I receive you into my heart as the Son of God and as the Savior and Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. From now on, help me live for you with you in control. 
In the precious name of Jesus, amen.